You're listening to another edition of the Savvy Citizen Podcast. Today, Linda Mingus is in the studio and she's talking to us about canning. It's a great opportunity to learn a little bit more about this during the right time of year when you've got a lot of things in season and really with inflation going, this is a great time to be able to save some money for your family. Listen in as we get some great tips from Linda and then we're going to find out a little bit more about everything you need to know that goes into this. So Linda, thanks for coming in and for joining us. This is part of our uh, kind of year-long series with the Cooperative Extension, and uh, we've had kind of different topics each month, and and this one obviously couldn't be more timely with uh, just kind of everything that's in season right now and available to go out and, and get from local growers, um, but also just with, with inflation, just doing what it's doing to our budgets. Um, you know, canning is certainly a great way to be able to help people save a little bit of money uh, when it comes to groceries. Absolutely. And we were discussing this topic this morning on a webinar and talking about the fact that even, you know, food distribution issues that people have. And, you know, also, this is a great time of year to be thinking about all the foods you can can for all the foodies that are in your life. It makes great holiday gifts. Mm. So we were talking a little bit about that this morning as well. And yeah, so right now, you know, I was at one of our local growers and all varieties of berries from raspberries to blackberries and strawberries everything was in season so this is a perfect time and it's not too late to you know learn more and find out where you want to begin so i would imagine that home canning this hasn't been something that's just become more popular over the last few months just because of inflation but this is something that's kind of been on the rise in general right Absolutely. So I would say for probably the last 15 years, Mm. and really, you know, it started, I think, from more of a homesteading or an interest in local foods. And, you know, folks were beginning to really focus on the question of where is my food coming from and some food safety aspects too. And then, of course, when COVID hit and people were home, uh, so many folks started to grow gardens of all sorts. And I spoke to some of our local growers and some of the local mom and pop stores, and they said, you know, there were so many newbies out there that had never had any kind of garden. Mm -hmm. So it was all new to them. And folks have, you know, really found a passion for growing vegetable gardens as well. And so you have this bounty of crop, and there's only so much you can give away. (laughs) So then folks really, that kind of the next step is learning how to preserve it. And because it's it was a lost art you know many folks who reach out to extension programs said you know i didn't learn from my mom i didn't learn from my grandparents Mm -hmm. so we really want to pick back up on those skills and be able to teach it to our children well i mean obviously kind of what you're talking about there i mean with some of the covid restrictions we saw over the last two years or so i mean a lot of people kind of going that route of home gardening and um like you said like if you've got all of this available you don't want it to go to waste Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes people run out of freezer space. Mm -hmm. That's something else that I heard last year. They said, you know, I have frozen everything. (laughs) So now I need to learn how to can because we've run out of space. So, um, you know, that's a that's really a great option too. And again, for gift giving, I always think of all the, you know, Christmas in July events, and Mm -hmm. that's starting to get ramped up. So, you know, it makes a great gift idea. So there's nothing also more tasty and convenient than midwinter to open up something you've canned like fresh green beans or corn that summer. And it's wonderful and it makes for convenient meal ideas. 
So generally speaking, how long does stuff last that's canned? If you're talking Ooh, about that's like, a great question. You know, fresh vegetables or, or fresh fruits or something like that. Well, from a safety standpoint, anything that's been properly canned safely and is in good condition, you know, the containers have not been damaged mm-hmm. or anything like that, they are good indefinitely on a safety side. Really? But in terms of quality of color and nutrition and flavor and those types of things, things, we recommend that you use canned products within a year. Okay. After that, you know, you start to, to see loss of color, nutrient content starts to go down. Mm-hmm. But it's really interesting because, you know, many times, it, you know, if there's been a passing from grandparents, family members will call and say, you know, I found canned green beans that were canned and you know they're 10 years old or longer and they'll ask about that um and so one of the things that that I first say is do you know how they were canned because many times what I learned is people have not updated their canning practices Mm. so it may not be the most recommended manner to can so we don't know if it's truly safe and so if we don't know how it's been canned, then I do recommend that you discard that and not plan to use it, regardless if, you know, it's a year or less. So there's there's two main types of, of home canning. Is that correct? That is correct. So water bath canning, and that, in fact, was one that we talked about today. That's really the easiest place to start. That is for high acid foods like fruits, for example, okay. jams, jellies, pickles, salsas, doesn't require a huge amount of new equipment. And then water bath, excuse me, pressure canning is what is recommended for all vegetables, any type of meat or poultry or seafood, any kind of soup mix. Um, And, you know, here in in our region, I guess two of the most um, uh, misappropriately canned items are green beans and corn. Those need to be pressure canned, and often they're water bath canned because it's been done for years, Mm. Um, and that is a risk for botulism. So, yeah, so, um, but water bath canning, quick and easy, and that's a great place to start, and that's where I recommend for newbies. So, so what goes into water bath canning? I mean, this is, I get, I get to play kind of the uninformed here because I truly am when it comes to canning. So, if I wanted to start canning and wanted to go the water bath route, what do I need to do? Yeah, so um, first of all, some of the basic equipment is having a large stock pot that can cover canning jars. So if you think of like the smaller pint jars, perhaps, sure, um, they need to be able to cover those jars with a couple of inches of water plus a couple more additional inches to allow for boiling space. But you don't even have to have one of the large, you know, the black canners that we we historically think of. So just having a large stock pot. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, having the right size canning jars, and those can be reused from year to year. We do have some information about, you know, inspecting them and checking, making sure that things don't have cracks or they look scratched. And then you need new lids from year to year. And one of the things I mentioned today is that, you know, we also have to keep in mind those lids have an expiration date. And the reason for that is they have a sealing compound on the inside of the lid. And those are really designed just for a one-use, a one-trip item. And then your bands, those can be recycled. 
they sometimes rust easily, but a little bit of, you know, um, scouring with a steel wool pad can get those off, but they can be recycled. And then, of course, you know, let's just say, you know, we're making blackberry jam. We need the ingredients for that. Mm -hmm. And then deciding, you know, if if we're going to use added pectin, which we can buy, you know, at most of the local grocery stores or a no added pectin. So then gathering your ingredients. So water bath canning really is the easiest form. It takes the least amount of equipment. And those large saucepans, you could probably get for under $100, whereas new pressure canners off the market, probably now between $100, $150 on the low end. Okay. So if you're, if you're going to go the pressure canning route, like you've got to make more of an investment up front and hopefully you're going to be in it for more of the long haul. Right, absolutely. And so there are different couple of different types of general pressure canners. There's the kind um, that we call it the dial gauge, and it actually has a dial with the numbers that reads the pounds of pressure, and those need to be calibrated every year. And, in fact, your extension office in most counties and states will do that at no charge. Hmm. And it just takes a few moments, but those are recommended to be calibrated every year. And then we have the weighted gauge. Now, those may be when often I talk to folks, many of us grew up with grandma canning, and you heard this rocking noise in the kitchen. It sounded like a little click. And um, those don't get calibrated, but those are strictly a weight, and you just turn the dial for the numbers of you know number of pound of pressure. Um, and a lot of people still prefer that. And of course, you know, some of the pressure canners are a little bit smaller, some are a little bit larger. Mm-hmm. Um, so depending on that, and of course, you can definitely go to the high end. But uh, I've tested tons of pressure canners over the years. And some of the original, you know, ones that probably people had, you know, when they were, you know, first married, um, are still working great, they just need to be checked. What's interesting, newer canners are a little bit lighter weight, and they have additional safety features. So that's one of the things we see in some of the new newer pressure canners, um, but it is still an investment. You know, depending on some of the higher brands, can be three to four hundred bucks, mm. but you don't have to go that high. Sure, yeah, especially if you're just starting out. Absolutely. So you talked about doing a, uh, a webinar earlier this morning. So what are some of the things that you kind of teach folks when you're talking about canning? Right. So we we start looking at, you know, in terms of how do I know which pressure can, or excuse me, which canner I need. And then we talk about, you know, identifying foods that are high acid, such as our fruits that can be easily, you know, canned in the water bath. And we've talked about um you know, exactly going through those steps and also having a better understanding of what equipment you need Mm -hmm. and where to find that. And then we talked about canning information um, because that's one of the things that I go through mentioning. So, Adam, if you and I were to go and make our favorite potato salad recipe, we wouldn't have a recipe and yours would probably be slightly different than mine. And that would be great and we would enjoy it. Well, we, I mentioned that because canning is not like cooking, and there's really no room for creativity mm. in the realms of canning. So we talk about making sure that we have exact equipment and we read instructions um, and the reason why you can't make substitutions and looking at some of the, the best practices and talked about that. And also where to find this information. So USDA does the, the canning research 
in conjunction and partnership with extension offices across the state. And so all of that information is available through USDA. And so I shared information about the canning guides and answered, you know, a lot of questions in terms of how to get started, what equipment do we need, and reading through those recipes. We talked a little bit more specifically today about jams and jellies because right now berries are in season. Perfect time. And, you know, if you have kids at home and you're wanting to introduce them to a fun activity, you know, canning, making jams and jellies can be a great option. And we even have some recipes and instructions that don't even require processing the freezer jam for example okay so that we talked a little bit about that and some of the guidance to go with that and and also uh, one of the things I tell folks about is that when you're canning you also have to plan for what happens if it doesn't seal properly and what am I going to do with that because you can have a lot of food waste oh yeah and we don't want that either because many times in an extension office people will can on a Friday night and something happens, you know, their jams or jellies, maybe it didn't seal. Okay. And guess what they do? They let it sit out on the cabinet until Monday. They get in touch with their extension office, and then they call, and they ask the question, you know, I can green beans or I may, you know, canned fruit over the weekend, and it didn't, can, it didn't seal, so what do I do? And so we tell them you need to have a plan ahead of time. So you mm. need to either put it in the fridge and use it right away, or you need to reprocess. Well, when you reprocess anything canned, you're applying more heat, so your quality somewhat goes down. Got it. So if you have one jar of jam, you know, that's not too big of a deal. You could still use that blackberry syrup, and it's still going to taste great. But now if you've had a whole canner load that didn't seal, your jars didn't seal, then you do have to need a backup plan. So a lot of what I try to teach is sharing people with people the information, where to find, you know, research-based information, knowing that they can adjust those um, guidance and the instructions and ingredients before they can or during the process and then having a plan on what to do if they have problems and being prepared for that. When we talk about pressure canning, one of the first things I do is talk to folks and tell them, step them through how to use a pressure canner without preparing any food. Okay. Just filling it up with water, learning how their equipment works. Um, one of the things that's very interesting. Many of us have a fear of the pressure canner. Adam, have you ever had any or heard any uh, stories about pressure canners? I have not, but I, I have a feeling <laughs> that uh, there's there's small explosions involved or something yes, along those lines. Yes, there's always people have heard a story or their grandma told them, you know, green beans on the ceiling. Yeah. Um, so yeah. people come in with a lot of fears about pressure canners. And so, you know, we step through that you know, prior to COVID, when we were doing more in-person classes, we actually would would can, for example, green beans or tomatoes, we would can them in the pressure canner. And I was so excited because people would say, you know, that really wasn't too hard and that Mm. wasn't scary. Um, But one of the things is that you've just got to be present. You got to know how to use your equipment. And if you can do a dry run just with water and, you know, reading the instructions and getting some know-how with your extension office or 
um, you know, learning more about this new equipment, and then your set, even just learning, you know, how well your range top adapts, you know, because if it's gas versus electric, Mm -hmm. the heat's going to be a little bit different. So doing that with water is always a great place to start. Oh, the other thing that I always mention, um, because now we're seeing a lot more ceramic surface ranges, okay. um, that those are not always ideal for pressure canning. Because if you're using a pressure canner, it can be often extremely heavy. If you're filling quart jars and you've got a full container, it's a heavy load. Oh, so sure. I do recommend that folks check with you know the manufacturer's instructions or information so that they don't damage their range top, Mm -hmm. and especially if they're using some of the older um, pressure canners. The other thing that I've heard, I've heard these stories where, you know, people come home from work, they've been out in the garden, they've picked green beans, so they don't even start canning till you know, 11 o'clock at night. And just to get your pressure canner up to pressure takes probably 15 to 20 minutes. Okay. And then your processing time, for example, for corn, maybe 80 minutes. Then you've got to allow for that same 15, 20 minutes to to cool down. So what has happened in the past is a lot of people will try to speed that cooling process down. And then, you know, lids get stuck. They can't get them off. So we've talked about and tried to provide a lot of information on, you know, preparing yourself, knowing how much time it's going to take and not trying to push that process because it's part of the canning process. And plus, it can damage your equipment, and you don't want to do that. Much more of a science than an art. Absolutely, it really is. So, you know, it's easier. It's actually easier to start if you don't have any information, um, you know, than to come in and to have seen how things have been done perhaps in the past and people aren't aware of new new guidance. So one of the things that I also mention is, you know, not all the foods that we purchase from the grocery store can be safely home canned. Mm. You know, we don't have a lot of the ingredients or the equipment. And I remember, and it's probably been about 20 years ago, there was this trend, and this was really before social media was really, you know, the norm for all of us, but people were making baked cakes in canning jars and sending that overseas. And you're looking at me like that's strange. Absolutely. It was. (laughs) (laughs) But because they found that somewhere and it just kind of went viral and I started getting all these calls. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things I mentioned with that is not, you know, first of all, that is not a safe recommendation. (laughs) We, you know, canning jars are not made for ovens. In fact, you know, that's one of the ways that jars can be abused. You Mm -hmm. know, people have canned in microwaves they have canned in dishwashers and ovens and steam and kettles i mean you name it it's been done Mm -hmm. but those are not necessarily safe or recommended places and then as i mentioned before there is not you know a recipe for everything and some foods it may be a quality issue some things just don't hold up well to to the amount of pressure and the temperature that's required to make it a safe product Mm -hmm. so the other pieces, if you can't, if you're having a difficulty finding, you know, a guidance for what you want to can, then check with your extension office. There may be a reason why, and that's often, you know, one of the the issues for that. So, so I'll ask maybe a dumb question: If you're wanting to do pickling, um, whether it's cucumbers or okra or beets or what have you, is it almost the same process? 
That's a great question. And pickles are a great place to start too um, because it's a water bath canning. Those are a high acid food because we add vinegar to them. Mm-hmm. And so we're acidifying them as well. Um, so it's a good place to start. Pickles, um, what we refer to as quick processed pickles, like bread and butter p- pickles, right. those don't take a lot of time. Where we go into fermented pickles, like traditionally sauerkraut, and some of the trends now that we see with fermented foods, the process of creating that fermentation is a long time. It can mm. take several weeks, and okay. you need to make sure that it's being done safely. And then after the fermentation process, then it still needs to be processed in a water bath to make sure that it's a safe product. The whole process of canning, and, and we talked about this a little bit today, is that regardless if you're doing water bath or pressure canning, the idea is that um, that heat is inactivating um, enzymes that create color changes, flavor changes in your food, as well as it's killing any bacteria mm. or foodborne illness that be na- may naturally be found in the soil. So the heat process does that, and then we create a vacuum seal. It becomes sterile so that nothing else can get back in. For high-acid foods, what we're predominantly concerned about are mold and yeast and these spoilage organisms. Um, When it comes to low-acid products like vegetables, green beans and corn, and even, you know, tomatoes years ago – became an issue because of the varieties of tomatoes. Their pH levels were just across the board. And there's a lot of factors. Tomatoes often, you know, if they're left on a vine and the vine is dead, they're going to, you know, their pH is going to be different than being on a fresh vine. So some of the guidance as a result of a botulism outbreak um, recommended, um, and this has been the case for at least 20 years now, that all tomatoes be acidified. And you do that with a bottled lemon juice or a citric acid. And that's regardless if they're water bath canned or pressure canned. Okay. Um, so, so regardless, you know, of the process that is required, um, those, those are the steps ultimately that that pressure canning and water bath canning works to do. In the pressure canning, our main thing that we're looking at is trying to prevent botulism. And you can't look at a jar to know. A lot of people say, well, couldn't I just look at the jar to know if it was an <laughs> issue? Wouldn't it smell or be, there would be some signal? No, it, it's, it's, there's no smell, there's no taste, and you know it, it still happens. And in fact, most of the cases of uh, botulism in the U.S. does occur from, you know, improperly canned home home foods. Not a lot of cases, but some of the symptoms mimic a heart attack. And when you think about years ago, before all of the technology that we had and medical discovery, perhaps some of the heart attacks and the issues of long ago were actually not that. Maybe they were more related mm. to you know, botulism, we don't know because they weren't tested. Right. Yeah, I remember hearing, you know, from time to time that you know, inmates that are, like, basically making alcohol in jail cells will end up with botulism just because it's, you know, obviously they're not doing it in the sanitary and 
yeah, <laughs> safe procedure. Right. So with pickles, you know, a couple of things that we recommend to people is that especially you can't alter the vinegar because that is what creates the acidity that, that we need that makes it less of a risk. And also the salt, you know, that also creates um, that also helps us to be able to safely water bath can it. And so many times people want uh, lower sodium pickles, so we have to find, you know, recipes designed for that. Mm. Sometimes folks are looking for pickles that have less added sugar because they're managing diabetes. So, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, I let folks know is let us help you find a tested recipe and don't try to you know, adjust just based on, on what you need. And you have to be careful with the products that you buy that are home canned. Um, there's guidance around that through um, uh, North Carolina Department of Ag in terms of that. And in fact, um, foods that are considered to be low acid, like our vegetables, you cannot prepare those at home and sell them. You okay. can make pickles and jams and jellies, and as long as you have an approved kitchen, you can be certified and sell. But still, there are things that fall through the crack and show up at markets. Yeah. Um, some of the old practices, for example, you may have seen paraffin wax on the tops of jars instead of them being processed you know, hot jams or jellies or pickles may have been put in jars and they were just simply sealed with wax. Okay. And that's not a recommended practice. First of all, the wax can shrink and then, you know, critters can get into mm. it. You have spoilage issues with the oxygen. Sure. Um, also, we used to have a, a method called the um, introverted method of just taking jams and jellies. The jars were filled and they were turned upside down. And because of the heat and the pressure, the jars would seal. But again, we've not had that heat process. We've not created, you know, removed anything out of that jar and created a vacuum seal. So that's not a recommended practice, especially in the south where we have so much humidity. Oh, goodness, yeah. And that increases spoilage issues as well. Um, But, you know, great places to start. And I just tell folks, um, you know, to think about what they can use, how they want to use it, and to do a little bit of research and reading ahead of time. Uh, you know, and you can find you can find a lot of the basic equipment at your local grocery stores and you know dollar stores. It doesn't take a lot, and you may even have friends or families that have pressure canners or water bath canners that you could borrow if mm-hmm. you're just wanting to try that. But you know, a great way of getting connected and and having a little bit um, stronger appreciation for the food that that we have access to. Well, I would imagine that like. Being able to um, can some of this stuff when it's in season and then being able to have it when it's out of season, um, not only is that a nice benefit, but like if for whatever reason, oh, I'm craving blackberries and it's you know December and you've canned them, you can have them, whereas you try to go buy them at the store and you're paying an arm and a leg for them. Absolutely. And, and that is so true. And, you know, so many folks, you know, especially in our region of the country, we really, 
um, like uh, certain, you know, varieties of green beans. And there's nothing like home canned green beans for that good flavor. And a lot of people say, don't give me frozen green beans. I want fresh. So, you know, there are some of those traditions as well. And, you know, sometimes, and we've seen this in the last couple of years, you know, there may be an access issue just from distribution. So if you can can or freeze you know, or, you know, even dry some of the foods that you're growing, then you know what you're going to have. So that continues to be an ongoing um, concern that I've heard from more families is, you know, they're just concerned what's going to be available from season to season. Absolutely. Um, So usually as we get ready to wrap these up, we we point people to the Extension's website for resources on something like this. I would assume that you've got great resources there for people that are interested in canning. Absolutely. And don't hesitate to, you know, reach out and give us a call or check our website. And in fact, you know, we are adding, uh, I've mentioned today with our group, we're going to probably add a class on salsa because as I've mentioned, some of the safety factors and some of the best practices with handling and mm-hmm. and managing tomatoes, just to kind of navigate through that. But we have lots of great information and also helpful tips that I think that can make canning a little bit more um, simple and to kind of guide you in getting started and, and looking at the equipment. So, you know, reach out. This is a great time of year. And even if you're not growing, you know, you can find um, so much that is growing in our region as we were talking about. So it's a great way to savor that flavor, even if it's not from your own garden. Yeah, being an Arizona native, I have, uh, I am a definite Salsa aficionado. And, you know, one of the things I mentioned about that that always comes up with tomatoes, because everyone has very, you know, individualized flavor um, preferences when it comes to tomatoes and salsas. So, you know, what I try to mention to folks is find a standardized recipe that best matches what you want. And then once you're ready to serve and you open up that jar, then you can add additional seasonings and flavorings to make it your own and do that at the table. So that's, that's kind of a good start when we think about tomato products. Absolutely. Well, Linda, thanks so much for coming in, for talking with us about canning. Uh, Definitely. If, if folks have uh, further questions, like you said, reach out. Um, The Extension website is a great resource as well as uh, their Facebook page. They're always uh, kind of posting stuff on there about some of the different classes and, and activities that they've got going on. So uh, definitely check them out. Thank you, Adam. Thank you.